3: Well, my friends, good morning, everybody, my friends. Well, we did it! We did it! We pulled it off, didn't we? I, of course, want to congratulate absolutely everybody involved in securing the biggest Conservative majority since the 1980s. December
4: 2019. The Tories are back in with a majority of over 80. Labour's leader, Jeremy Corbyn, announces that he will step down after a new leader is elected. Corbyn may be over, but his revolution lives on. His supporters control the party machinery and the general secretaryship of the party. They dominate the National Executive Committee, which makes Labour's rules. Momentum, the grassroots campaign set up to back Corbyn, is the largest organised faction in the party. Lots of people, me included, think the left will win. But who will they stand? I'm David Aronovich from Tortoise. This is Eight Years Hard Labour. Episode 6. Do you really want to go out on a night like this? One or two of the left's brightest stars have lost their seats. Meanwhile, Jess Phillips and Emily Thornberry, the centre-left, have declared. And, less excitingly some think, the steady but supposedly uncharismatic
5: shadow Brexit secretary. The result was devastating for colleagues who were not returned to Parliament, but for millions of people who desperately needed change last Thursday and still need change now. I'm seriously considering standing, I'm talking to colleagues, I'm talking to Trade Unionists, I'm talking to the right movement but I'm seriously considering it.
4: One story is that Keir Starmer had to be persuaded to stand. But Tortoise's political editor, Cat Neelan, discovered a much more deliberate and earlier decision to run and a much earlier, well-funded organisation prepared to back him.
6: In fact, this goes right the way back to the spring of 2018, even before the worst of the anti-Semitism accusations surfaced. And it has two elements to it, which initially had nothing to do with each other. Baroness Jenny Chapman was then the Labour MP for Darlington. She lost her seat in the 2019 election. And she told me about the first part of this story. There was an event in Parliament, which was Theresa May
7: giving a statement following the Scripple poisonings in Salisbury. And Jeremy Corbyn, who was the leader of the Labour Party at the time, um, responded. And one of the, the points that he made was that he thought that the samples of the substance that we were being told was a Novichok um, substance should be sent to Moscow for uh, examination. I thought this was the most ludicrous thing I'd ever heard. I felt that that was a tipping point for me and that it would be for the public um, and that something needed to change and that either Jeremy would, of his own volition, step back or that there would be a massive electoral defeat that would um, necessitate a change of leadership. Um, And I looked around um, the benches and thought that actually the person that I would have preferred to have seen up there responding to that statement, who understood the gravity of what the country was facing, was Keir Starmer. I spoke to him on the phone the following Saturday and I suggested that he ought to put himself forward to be the leader. And if he hadn't considered it, I thought that he should consider it. If he would be interested in considering it, I'd be happy to support him and facilitate some kind of embryonic team um, to discuss whether or not that was a viable way forward for the party. What was his response? Did you get the impression he'd been thinking along the same lines? I think so. I can't answer that. Um, He didn't say, oh, yes, I've been thinking about this for ages. He There was a bit of a pause and he said, yes, I'd be interested in taking that forward and having those conversations. Um, And that's where my involvement started.
6: And have those conversations he did.
7: Monday morning is usually, and up until that point it was for me too, sort of travel time. So you'll travel back to London, Parliament meets at 2.30 in the afternoon. So Monday morning's are quite useful time for catch-ups, for doing some sort of political chats or you're on the train is... The experience for most parliamentarians um, and we decided that we would use some of that time um, first thing on a monday morning we'd meet at sort of eight eight thirty nine o'clock and just spend an hour checking in talking things over if there'd been some polling done we might look at that if there were some particularly contentious issues we would use that that time and then we would get on with our jobs and, and not really think about it because there wasn't a contest There were no decisions that had to be made at that stage. It was just about the early stages of building a team.
6: Even so, even after the election of 2019 and with Corbyn departing, the scale of the challenge seemed huge. At that point, we were just sort of trying to
7: understand what was possible with the Labour Party at that time because momentum was very, very strong. Um, they had control of the NEC. You had They'd got rid of Ian McNichol as General Secretary. You had Jenny Formby as General Secretary. So almost every lever that there was was in the command of um, the leader's office and Jeremy Corbyn. You know, that meant that there, there were lots of things that you needed to think about and how the uh, contest would even be run, what the rules would be, who would be allowed to take part, um, how long you had to be a member for, what would they do about... Uh, people being able to vote as associate members or whatever it was, we were,
6: they were called, oh, I can't even remember now. And this is where the second strand kicks in. Quite separately, there were other people associated with the party who were active in planning for a post-Corbyn future. Called Labour Together, it was a policy-led group within the party that was initially set up in 2015 to understand where Ed Miliband had gone wrong. But in 2017, it was remodelled with a new purpose keeping Labour together in the face of defections and resignations at a time when some on the centre-left feared for the future of the party. One insider told me they deliberately kept Labour together buried during the Corbyn years because if the hard left had known, they would have wanted to kill it off. Several MPs who are now shadow cabinet ministers were involved, including Rachel Reeves, Wes Streeting, Steve Reed, and Lisa Nandy. But most people say the driving force behind it was Morgan McSweeney, the softly spoken Irishman who had worked with Steve Reed at Lambeth Council and who has gone on since to become Labour's campaign director. During their time in the wilderness, Labour Together successfully raised a £2 million war chest. This paid for polling, both of Labour members and the wider public. And one thing they discovered was that the Corbyn revolution in Labour was quite shallow. The estimated support for the left was restricted to a quarter of Labour members. There was a far larger proportion, around 50%, who they dubbed idealists, politically naive and suspicious of polished politicians, but not strong ideologues. And there was another 25% identified as centrist. Bolstered by these numbers, they grew in confidence that with the right mainstream candidate, they could win. They piloted their approach in seats that centrist candidates had no right being selected for, building up a track record of defeating Corbynite rivals. From 2017 onwards, they were polling runners and riders for leaders and Keir Starmer consistently topped the list. Eventually, Morgan McSweeney showed him the results, their methodology and their tactics. After many months of working in parallel, the two strands merged to great effect.
7: Morgan got involved quite early and I'm very pleased that he did. He would often turn up at these meetings and I would say, well, I think this, with no, based on nothing apart from conversations I'd had. And he'd say, well, here's the data. And Keir likes data, you know, you can give him your impression or your sense of something, he'd be like, thank you very much, but actually what do we really know? So Morgan was great at that. If anyone is interested in writing the history of all of this in in 10, 20 years time, there's an awful lot to thank Morgan McSweeney for.
4: It's an old truism that you face one way to win your party's support and the other way to win the voters, or else you lose.
8: In the struggles of the 1980s, the Labour movement stood together in solidarity against Thatcher.
5: Keir defended the print workers at Watby. He was in the crowd that night when police on horseback charged into the peaceful picket.
4: Keir Starmer's launch video was
5: a classic. I've spent my life fighting for justice. Standing up for the powerless and against the powerful. I still believe another future is possible.
8: He was there for the dockers in Dover in the PO dispute, helping the families of strikers who had their benefits cut off by the Tory government. He gave free legal advice to the poll tax
4: protesters in Trafalgar Square. Even Starmer's opponents on the left were impressed. John Landsman was on the NEC.
3: The video was a brilliant video, which set out a programme that should have made everyone who'd voted for Jeremy Corbyn perfectly happy—not just the forty percent of the people who voted for, for 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 Corbyn and went on to vote for Starmer. You know, actually, uh, you know, Starmer won forty uh, percent of the Corbyns, of Corbyn supporters in the party. Something that Corbyn supporters should think of now.
4: A little later, Landsman and the Corbynite left finally settled on their
9: candidate. Once seen as Jeremy Corbyn's heir apparent, Rebecca Long-Bailey was a late entrant into the Labour leadership race.
10: I've invited everyone here today because, as you might have heard, I'm standing to become the leader of the Labour Party.
4: But Rebecca Long-Bailey, elected as an MP in 2015, the same year as Keir Starmer, somehow lacked that absolute conviction that had characterized Labour's departing leader
3: in the end rebecca long bailey stood because i think john o'donnell bullied her understanding she wasn't really ready for it and uh, you know i you know and i don't think she really wanted she, she really wanted to do it and i didn't really want to run my campaign because i knew what the outcome was going to be you know and the problem was we'd never had a candidate and never given much thought to Therefore, to what we were going to do.
4: John Lansman was right. On behalf of the party members' project for the Economic Social
11: Research Council run out of Queen Mary and Sussex Universities, YouGov polled 1,059 Labour members. Here's who they put down as their first preference. Shadow Brexit Secretary Keir Starmer comes out on top, getting 31% of first preferences. Corbynite favourite and Shadow Business Secretary Rebecca Long-Bailey comes out second on 20% and the rest trail those two.
4: In addition to the video, the Starmer campaign famously made 10 pledges to the members. They included such party pleasers as increasing income tax for the top 5% of earners, supporting the abolition of tuition fees, supporting common ownership of rail, mail, energy and water and abolishing the House of Lords. It was a prospectus that the Long Bailey supporters found it difficult to deal with. Matt Saab-Cousin was
12: part of her campaign. I think that was the problem for us, that there wasn't any hostility. We wanted to draw some dividing lines out. Obviously, in campaigns, you can't tell people who your opponent is because they don't believe you. So you have to show them. And in order to show them, you have to... You had to try to draw some differences out and he wasn't moving. And Starmer was close enough that he was loyal, but not too close that he was a con- seen as a continuation of the project. Coupled with that, you had the fact that he would just basically em- appear to embrace the entire policy agenda. So we didn't really have anywhere to go. And there was a set of people formerly close to Corbyn who now supported Starmer. Basically, a lot of the people that were anti-Brexit on the Corbyn side became very close to Keir. So he, he did build that trust with them. I think as well, like, everyone was so defeated after the election, the general election, and uh, exhausted and didn't feel like we had the capacity to fight again. And then you had this guy come along and he's like, oh, well, everything will be fine, don't worry, I'm, and it's like, okay, and it's like of prey that knows its prey and it sort of crawls into the predator's mouth interesting metaphor anyway it was a winning strategy one of the reasons
11: i think canvassing is so valuable it was pretty clear from me by the end of the first week of canvassing that he was going to win he was going to win very 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 well because there were plenty of people out there uh, who i spoke to in those first few days saying they'd voted for corbyn twice but they were going to vote for Keir. and a lot of them just said, because we need to win. So it was It was partly a, he appealed to a lot of the people who'd voted for Corbyn, but it was also after this second defeat and this particularly devastating defeat, Labour members had decided they wanted to win next time. And that was a critical switch in their brains. Sky News has commissioned a Labour members poll from YouGov as we enter the final phase of the race and the results couldn't be clearer. The poll suggests Sir Keir Starmer wins convincingly in the first round by securing over 50% of the vote.
4: On the 4th of April 2020, Labour announced that Sir Keir Starmer had won with 56%, double Long Bailey's vote. But this time, there was no special conference to proclaim the result. A fortnight earlier... The time has now come for us all to do
9: more. From this evening, I must give the British people a very simple instruction. You must stay at home. Because the critical thing
4: we must do to stop the disease spreading between households, that is why people will only be allowed to leave their home for the following very limited purposes. Claire Ainslie had just joined the new Starmer team as his first executive director of policy.
10: Well, no-one was listening to us because we were 26 points behind when Keir took on the leadership of the Labour Party and we weren't even in an office. So we were all on Zoom, which we all became quickly acquainted with. We were not physically together for that first period and I think that was quite significant.
5: When the Prime Minister returned to work a week ago Monday, he said that many people were looking at the apparent success of the government's approach. But yesterday we learnt, tragically, that at least 29,427 people in the UK have now lost their lives to this dreadful virus. That's now the highest number in Europe. It's the second highest in the world. That's not success or apparent success. So can the Prime Minister tell us how on earth did it come to this?
10: So having to make quite difficult decisions in a very intense climate in a pandemic and everybody's in their, you know, living rooms and at home. So um, it was it was certainly challenging. But I think what Keir applied to it was a complete rigour about how we were going to make those decisions. Um, He, as I say, he met, we met every day with a group of senior politicians to be able to make those decisions. The biggest issue, to be quite honest, was that all of us were being personally affected by it, as everybody who's listening to this was. And if you remember what it felt like, if you had people particularly who were, you know, elderly or frail or in care homes, it was actually like personally very difficult. And lots of us had our kids at home as well. So all of us were going through the same experience, senior politicians too. So the experience of forming a leader's office in those conditions, I think, aren't to be underestimated.
4: With the government holding important press conferences every day, no one was listening to lockdown Labour. It turned out to be an opportunity to look at what about the party
10: needed changing. So frankly, some of that getting the party straight wasn't just for the party. That was to say to the public, we are changed and we are changing and we will change. So that was very public. Some of the stuff that needs to be done in terms of the party probably does need to happen away from the spotlight because also you're talking about individuals, uh, the machinery of the Labour Party was not in the state that it's now in. Uh, and some of that did need to happen a little bit um, privately.
4: In the no longer lockdown but socially distant summer of 2020, came the first sign of just how determined Starmer was to shake off the most problematic aspects of the Corbyn legacy.
9: But when Keir Starmer convincingly defeated Rebecca Long-Bailey by a margin of two to one, he said he wanted her in his team. Today, though, her fate was sealed by a tweet saying, Maxine Peake is an absolute diamond. Shared with the tweet, an interview with the TV actress in which she said... The tactics used by the police in America kneeling on George Floyd's neck, that was learned from seminars with Israeli secret services.
5: Well, the sharing of that article was wrong um, and because the article contained um, anti-Semitic conspiracy theories, uh, I have therefore um, stood Rebecca Long-Bailey down from the Shadow
6: Cabinet.
10: Starmer have set some red lines. The red lines that he set were very clear on anti-Semitism. And once you set a red line on anti-Semitism, after the experience that the Labour Party has just had, you do not allow those to be crossed. If you allow them to be crossed, you then allow more to be crossed and then you will never get the Labour Party back to where it needed to be. What I would say was that it was really clear where his red lines were. If anybody breached one of those red lines, they had the opportunity to... Take any statements back, but if they didn't do that and they didn't see where he was going, then he was really clear in the action that he took.
4: The Long Bailey affair, it turned out, was the merest curtain raiser. At the end of October, the Equality and Human Rights Commission (EHRC) published its one hundred and thirty-page investigation into anti-Semitism in the Labour Party. It was damning. Former MP Luciana Berger had left the party because of its anti-Semitism problem.
13: The pain to have the body created by Labour government investigate the Labour Party, not some fringe far-right or far-left grouping, but to investigate Her Majesty's opposition and find the party guilty of having breached the Equality Act and, and having found that they had intimidated their members, harassed their members, and there had been political interference. It gave me no comfort to know that you know an external independent body Had come to those conclusions. It only sought to reconfirm what I knew to have been true and what I experienced. And for me, what was a key turning point was the party being taken out as special measures by this independent body, the Equalities and Human Rights Commission, which, you know, my mind showed that independently they'd been appraised that they'd made enough progress to have turned the corner.
4: One conclusion that the report reached was that Labour's leadership under Jeremy Corbyn had lacked the will to combat anti-Jewish prejudice. Starmer's office had been anticipating such a criticism. Starmer had a statement prepared saying that, as leader, he and the party fully accepted the report and pledged to act on its findings. That wasn't in any doubt. But what would the previous leader do? I gather that some of Starmer's advisers had expected that Corbyn wouldn't be able to stomach the EHRC report. If he was sensible, he would wait for Starmer's statement and then agree with it. But some of them didn't think he would be sensible. One reckoned the chances of him still being in the party a year later as being as low as 30%. Minutes before the new Labour leader responded to the EHRC, his predecessor took to social media to argue that the problem had been dramatically overstated for political reasons. The balloon
14: went up. Senior Labour MP, Margaret Hodge. The night before the EHRC report was published, I mean, a group of us got together to decide, you know, how we were going to respond. We knew, we knew what it was going to say. And we all said we weren't going to mention Corbyn. Because he was part of the past, and we needed now to look at a party that had been infected by this virus of anti-Semitism, and how to put that right. You know, uh, EHRC had found against us, so we did the early stuff on the on the morning of the EHRC, and then of course Corbyn couldn't resist and said that it was exaggerated. It was an exaggerated report, and he didn't accept the um, the findings. So. I was fronting quite a lot of the stuff for the the, uh, Jewish Labour movement. And um, I remember ringing Keir's office and saying, I can't hold the line. You've got to do something. The still largely
4: Corbynite NEC decided to suspend Corbyn. Yesterday, was it a day of shame, a day
5: of renewal, or a bit of both? Um, A bit of both. What I had hoped yesterday was that, um, although it would be painful, because there were findings against the Labour Party for breaching equalities legislation that the Labour government brought in, in relation to anti-Semitism, and we had to accept that and apologise. I had hoped that we could draw a line in the stand and move forward. That, in the end, didn't happen according to plan because of the response of Jeremy Corbyn yesterday morning to the
9: report. It was not... Keir Starmer's plan on the day the EHRC report came out to throw his predecessor out of the party. Indeed, his plan was to say, I'm now of the Party, I take responsibility, I want to move forward. I don't want to talk about you, I want to talk about what I'm doing. Jeremy Corbyn took the decision that he wanted to put a statement out before Keir Starmer spoke. Tom Baldwin is writing a biography of Keir Starmer. And Jamie Corbyn also took a decision to say the problem of anti-Semitism in the Labour Party was exaggerated.
4: At this stage, Starmer, I gather, was still hoping, even if members of his staff weren't, that Corbyn would apologise and that Labour could get on with the business of opposition. But he wouldn't.
5: The numbers have been exaggerated in my view. The public perception in an opinion poll last year was that one-third of all Labour Party members were somehow or other under suspicion of anti-Semitism. The reality is it was 0.3% of party members had a case against them which had to be put through the process. And so I think it's clear that we do not accept, I do not accept, Keir Starmer does not accept, none of us accept anti-Semitism in any form whatsoever in our party.
4: So, when Labour's National Executive Committee, satisfied with its action, desuspended the former leader, a second balloon went up.
14: I tried to get hold of everybody, and nobody would answer phones or pick up or anything like that. And finally, somebody did, and um, I just, uh, I, I, you know, actually, for the first time, I burst into tears. I'd been pretty solid throughout, and then I said, I don't know how I can stay if this is going to happen um, and <laughs> got oh, my daughter said to me mum you stayed all the way through when he was leader what the hell are you doing <laughs> saying you can't stay if, uh, if they let him back in again but anyway it was a very tense day and in the end the compromise that was reached was that he would not be admitted uh, into the parliamentary Labour Party. What Starmer could do
4: was have Corbyn suspended from the PLP, the Parliamentary Labour Party. From now on, until some unspecified event, Corbyn would have to sit as an independent. The iron, however, had entered the Labour leader's soul. Up until now, Starmer had generally tried to include various shades of opinion in his shadow cabinet and attempted to avoid confrontations with party critics. Then, in the spring of 2021, came the event that changed all that.
11: The Tories' historic victory in the Hartlepool by-election and their gains in council
4: votes all over England.
9: It's a mandate for us to continue to, to deliver.
4: Uh, for uh, not just for the people of Hartlepool, not just for the people of the of the northeast, but
9: across the whole of the, of the country.
5: We have lost four general elections in a row. We've had bitterly disappointing results last night. This goes way beyond a reshuffle, goes way beyond personalities. It goes to the core issue of whether the Labour Party is talking to itself or talking to the country.
10: We were still getting hostility over what Labour had been, and they weren't really just sure where to put us. So I don't think there was a clear view that was coming about Keir Starmer in particular or what the Labour Party were about now because people didn't really have that stronger view. It was more that they were going to give the Conservatives a chance again.
9: In 2020 a lot of very clever people in the Labour Party who'd won elections before were wondering whether he might be Neil Kinnock. He might be the person who begins to change the party, begins to put the Labour Party back on the road to power. And of course were, you know, it took John Smith and Tony Blair to complete that process. For Starmer, he wanted to do it in one turn. He, he wanted to go through Kinnock, Smith and Blair in one parliament to be three leaders in five years. And I don't think people took him very seriously. After that Hartlepool by-election defeat, there was a complete change in strategy a step change in his efforts to change the party, and the emergence of a very different leader in the form of someone who had a plan to win the election rather than just to mitigate losses.
10: I definitely think that Keir went through a process of seeking unity before we came to a point where it was very clear that he had to take a different path. I think it was not quite as simple as wanting to take the party in a different direction. It was the whole thing needed to be lifted up and rebuilt, and that wasn't just a political, factional issue. That was about energy and morale, enthusiasm, and looking like we can win again.
4: No more Mr Nice Guy, but also a possibility of soon becoming Mr X Guy. A few weeks later, Starmer was saved by another northern by-election in the seat of Batley and Spen. Labour held on by just over 300 votes. By now, the party-pleasing pledges were history.
5: Can I ask you, do you stand by your pledge to support common ownership of rail, mail, energy and water? Uh, Andrew, I'm pragmatic about this, not ideological, um, but we've got to face... The reality of the situation, okay. which is post-COVID, our economy is in a different position. But I'm, I'm, I'm not one of these so, people to so think about are... it. It must be one thi- thing or the other. We've yeah. got to be practical.
4: Jenny Chapman explains
7: the rationale. They are the pledges of somebody who is trying to lead a political party before we'd left the European Union, um, before COVID, before the financial crisis that we've just been through. I think you've got to look at them in that context. I think that they're about saying who you are and what your beliefs are. Um, they're not a list of things that somebody who is about to perhaps become prime minister um, would, you know, they're not, they're not pledges to put to the country.
4: Unsurprisingly, the Corbynites whose candidates have been so roundly defeated back in 2020 were incandescent. Corbyn's supporting columnists in national newspapers condemned the leader as a liar and a cheat. This was Guardian columnist Owen Jones.
11: Keir Starmer is a professional political comrade. Don't use those words lightly. In order to become leader of the Labour Party, he made a series of solemn commitments,
4: pledges, he called them. Now,
11: he didn't just slightly break that mandate.
4: First, they came for the policies, and then they came for the people. In 2018, momentum had swept the board in the elections for some sections of the NEC. In 2022, this was almost reversed. The party machinery was now fully back in the hands of the Labour moderates. And they knew what they wanted to do with it. Wes Streeting.
8: When people go to the polls, we want them to see the Labour rose as both a statement of values but also a quality kite mark they should know that every labour candidate they're being offered is someone of great quality and good standing as well as good values and good politics
11: ben bradshaw the other thing that has um i, I found seriously impressive with keir's operation is uh, the selection process for our candidates because it's not just that we're doing a, a you know doing a good job Uh, of due diligence. Uh, We weren't doing any due diligence before at all,
4: and we're now doing it. However, one person's due diligence is another person's purge. Sam Tarry is the Corbynite MP for the seat next to Wes Streetings. He himself had been selected under controversial circumstances, and now found himself being deselected by his local party. And he was far from the only left-winger who was having trouble.
8: The Corbyn period polarised everything. But people who, you know, I would also consider to be kind of, could be a local trade union activist, could be a a local councillor. I mean, the examples of people that have been blocked are absolutely, you know, documented uh, right across the country uh, to a huge scale. And I genuinely think to the detriment of the party, these people are not matters. These people are highly competent, highly energized, highly committed uh, and skilled. Local individuals who actually represent a big diversity of backgrounds. And there's a real problem with the lack of diversity of backgrounds of the people we selected, and that, that is a problem. It feels, you know, if the Corbyn era was a grassroots upswell, a kind of, you know, uh, a new sort of political reawakening being born in the carcass of a previously dying party, what this is, is a takeover that no one's ever agreed to.
4: By February of 2023, this led to an absolutely unprecedented decision on the part of the current Labour leader.
5: Let me be very clear about that. Uh, Jeremy Corbyn will not stand for Labour at the next general election as a Labour Party candidate. Uh, What I said about the party changing, I meant, and we are not going back, and that is why Jeremy Corbyn...
4: Corbyn hadn't been expelled from the party. That decision had not been in Starmer's gift. But he could be removed as a candidate. Then, if he stood as an independent, he would automatically be expelled. Even people on the left, critical of his reaction to the anti-Semitism report, were appalled. John Lansman.
3: You know, I was very annoyed with what Jeremy said on the day of the HRC. But... I don't think it was an, exp- you know, it was a, I mean, it was a stupid thing to say prim- primarily. Um, and I understand the determination of Keir Starmer to put right the, the very poor handling of anti-Semitism by Jeremy's leadership. But then to use his exclusion Of course, the whip isn't exclusion from the party, it's exclusion from the PLP. But then to use the exclusion of the PLP to essentially bar him from standing again without any further process, without any process at all, is terrible and uh, a shabby way to treat any member. I mean, and, and frankly, for a human rights lawyer to you know, be ultimately responsible for a process that denies any kind of process or any kind of rights for someone in Jeremy's position is an absolute disgrace. And to treat a former leader of the Labour Party that way is an absolute disgrace.
4: Labour moderate Ben Bradshaw is unsympathetic to his former leader. It's almost as if he wants to be a martyr. Um,
11: He's he's the the architect of his own downfall, because there's no reason why he couldn't have carried on being a Labour MP and then retired into obscurity. But he's chosen to get himself um, the whip taken away and is not prepared to do what he needs to do to get it back, and it's it's probably too late
4: now. Then, in the early summer, another senior and well-respected Corbynite also got handed his cards. This time, it was Jamie Driscoll, Mayor of the North East since May 2019. A new, bigger mayoralty had been created and required a new candidate selection.
2: They decided to run the selection quite early. This new authority hasn't even been approved by Parliament yet. The election's not till May next year. They uh, then had uh, the the selection process set out. Uh, You self-nominate. So I'd put in, um, three other people had. And uh, then uh, the Labour Party has a look and uh, they do what's called a due diligence interview. Um, Is there anything embarrassing to the party? Do you have a criminal record? These sorts of things. No, no, I'm a sitting mayor. So that interview was on the um, Thursday evening. On the Friday evening, this is at the start of June, uh, at around 4.30, an email came, comes through saying, uh, thank you for applying. You have been unsuccessful. And that's, it's, it's a bit longer than that, but there's no extra details in it. And I uh, thought, well, this is ridiculous. Um, I think this is newsworthy. So put out a tweet saying the Labour Party have stopped me from running. I've created thousands of jobs, delivered a Green New Deal, built affordable homes. And I think this is a, an attack on democracy. Um, and that tweet went viral and there was something like 5 million views and... You know, News, Night and Sky and everybody else is wanting to talk to me about it. And, and that's how it happens.
4: No explanation was required and none was given. But it seems the reason was a shared platform with the filmmaker, Ken Loach.
2: The, the event was at the Live Theatre and that's a, a wonderful arts venue in Newcastle community and does great work. And Ken Loach had done um, I, Daniel Blake, in the Northeast. He'd done Sorry, We Missed You in the Northeast. And coming out this year is The Old Oak, which he'd been filming. Uh, and they said, um, look, would you do a, an in-conversation event with Ken Loach? And it was a very light thing you know, about yeah, film and his favorite films, my favorite films, good actors, what you might have done differently in your life. Nobody at the time remotely bothered about it in the region. Um, And it's something that was clearly, you know, used as as weaponised afterwards. Um, There was no mention of the Labour Party particularly in that. There was no mention of um, of anything to do with the the history of Israel or any such things.
4: But in 2021, Loach had been expelled from Labour and was notorious in the Jewish community for arguing that Labour's anti-Semitism problem was part of a plot to discredit Jeremy Corbyn, and for having earlier speculated that anti-Semitism in Europe was the product of Israeli treatment of the Palestinians. For some on the left, the Driscoll affair was almost the last straw.
5: I think what he's allowed to happen is a right-wing faction become drunk with power and use devices within the party almost on a a search and destroy of the left. They seem to be more interested in destroying the presence of the left in the party than getting a Labour government. We all want a Labour government.
4: Such complaints sounded unimportant in the context of events. By October of 2022, Keir Starmer was on his third Conservative Prime Minister in three months. Partygate, the Owen Paterson lobbying debacle, the Chris Pincher groping in Broglio, the kami budget, the fall of Liz Truss, high interest rates, soaring fuel bills, strikes and the simple desire for change had led to big Labour leads in the polls. Leads, which turned into votes.
10: The polls have just
6: closed in two key by-elections in Mid-Bedfordshire and Tamworth in Staffordshire.
5: These are two places that the Conservatives won by a country mile at the last general election.
1: Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds.
4: Even a veteran left-winger like writer Paul Mason had seen qualities in
5: Starmer that suggested a possible Prime Minister. I've been in several small rooms with Kia during the period of the, of the 2019, 2020. It's weird. What you see is what you get. You do see quite a formal person who is very passionate, but restrains that passion uh, behind a professional veneer because that's been his life. I'm not just talking about lawyer, I'm talking about someone who had to deal with security services in Northern Ireland, someone who's all too aware of how many terrible things are going on in the world, you know, in criminal law and in security uh, briefings, and is all too well aware of how easy it is to screw up
7: Today, Israel battled to repel a surprise invasion of its territory after Palestinian militants launched highly coordinated attacks from Gaza. Thousands of rockets were fired into Israel as gunmen infiltrated several border towns and bases, kidnapping civilians and soldiers.
4: In early October 2023, Starmer suddenly faced the first major test of his seriousness about political power.
7: Israel's Prime Minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, declared the country was, quote, at war. He said their enemy would pay an unprecedented price. Israeli warplanes took aim at Gaza. Among the targets hit this high-rise, which was reduced
15: to rubble.
4: Many in his party wanted him to join the calls for a ceasefire, which he saw as, in effect, a demand that Israel suspend its military activity. He refused
5: while i understand calls for a ceasefire at this stage i do not believe that it is the correct position now the left in the party accused him of
4: being in effect a war criminal
8: i have to use my voice to try and wherever possible move a dial and look i think this dial will move i think that it won't be too long before the us and the uk feel that The military action is achieving nothing.
7: Jess it's quite a high-profile Labour frontbencher, formerly ran for the leadership as well. Eight frontbenchers and one uh, PPS, uh, that's what we're expecting. Uh, Around 56 Labour MPs in total, voting for the SNP amendment, calling for an immediate ceasefire in Gaza. And, of course, that
0: goes against Kirstana's position.
4: But many not on the left couldn't agree with their leader's position either. If Keir Starmer becomes Prime Minister, as many expect, he'll face many tests like this. Meanwhile, others will reflect on what might have been.
2: Answer that you question. Can't, can you can't, you? answer it. No, it's my okay. show. You answer my question. Well, me... you Ahamasa, are the... Hamas a terror group? Listen, can I... Are they a terror group? Are... Piers, can I... Answer the question. Can I speak? Are they a terror group? Piers. Piers. No, no. 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 If you'll let me speak... Are I'll... they a terror group? If you'll let me speak, Piers. I'll say something. Go on, then. A ceasefire
8: means both sides. You said that. Are they a terror group? Listen, I said that Are they that a terror is part group? Of the process. Are they a terror and group? And that will ha- Can we go Why can't
2: you
5: say it? Piers, can we go through what Ought to be happy. Just answer my question. Why do you think lots of terrors in the world are calling for a ceasefire? a there? terror
8: group? Come on, ask that. Answer are me. No, you've got so not many, your show. You've got so many opinions.
9: Why should I answer yours when you answer mine?
4: Eight Years Hard Labour was written and reported by me, David Aronovich. Additional reporting was by Kat Nealon. It was produced by Valerio Esposito. Sound design and original music by Tom Kinsella. Artwork by John Hill. The editor was Jasper Corbett.
9: That
2: is very telling. They and won't. you wonder, and you wonder why people think you had a problem with Jewish people. At all. Right? Like,
4: it's it's very you. Very Thank you for listening to the series. If you want to hear more from Tortoise's award-winning newsroom, you can search for Tortoise wherever you get your podcasts. You can get early access and ad-free listening by subscribing to Tortoise on our audio app.
0: Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.
6: Hi, I'm Gemma Ware, host of the Conversation Weekly podcast. Each week I get to speak to some of the smartest people in the world as they connect their new research to the biggest news and issues of today. You'll get a bit of everything from how women are changing North Korea to the emerging science of interoception, our sixth sense, to the importance of intellectual humility. Follow The Conversation Weekly for new episodes every Thursday and read more stories direct from academic experts every day on theconversation.com.